Good evening. An earthquake kills thousands in Afghanistan. Israel's air force bombs densely populated neighborhoods in Gaza. An invasion is certain. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launches an independent bid for the presidency. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news. In northwestern Afghanistan, a massive earthquake has killed more than 2,400 people. It was the deadliest tremor in years. Whole villages were leveled to rubble in the mountainous region, 20 miles from the city of Herat. The healthcare system in the landlocked country has been severely cut. In a country emerging from decades of war and foreign occupation, the Taliban government is almost totally reliant on outside medical assistance, with the United States withholding billions in aid since the chaotic withdrawal of U.S. troops last August. In New York, hundreds protested in Times Square and around the globe on Sunday in support of the Palestinian attack launched from Gaza that took Israel by surprise, killing and injuring thousands. Supporters of the Jewish state also rallied, but the Palestinian supporters were the more diverse, including many Jewish New Yorkers. The attack, organized by Hamas, came Friday and caught the Israeli military by surprise. An Israeli counter-protester, Jonathan, acknowledged the much-vaunted Israeli intelligence service failed. The Israeli government, when the war is over, needs to do a serious accounting. But right now, I think everyone needs to be focused on uniting and fighting the Palestinians. To what end? I mean, how far should they go? Whatever it takes to keep Israelis and Jews and people who are on the side of freedom safe. Thousands of Palestinians swarmed the fence separating the enclave where two million Palestinians live, mostly descendants of refugees from Israel's founding in 1948. Videos on social media showed fighters as they paraglide into Israel. Others show captured Israeli bulldozers smashing down the barrier. Disturbing videos showed Israeli men, women, and children being taken prisoner. And as Israeli warplanes struck back, lighting the sky with bombs, bodies were pulled from the rubble. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu predicted a long and bloody war as Israel battles to expel fighters who have captured several Israeli villages surrounding Gaza. A Palestinian protester in New York, Sawad, says Palestinians want peace too, but they're fed up with Israel's brutal treatment. Nobody wants bloodshed, but what can we do? The Israelis every day, every week, they kill five Palestinians. They put their houses down. They call them terrorists. Thousands of youngs in the presence. Mr. Biden, go back to the history. Meanwhile, the United States is moving an aircraft carrier group close to Israel. The United States has doubled down its support of its closest ally in the region. Reportedly, at least nine Americans have died in Israel since the fighting began. Retired General Barry McCaffrey says intervention in support of Hamas by Israel's neighbors would lead to war. I would just suggest to you our support of Israel will be absolute. And if we see Syrian military intervention, active Iranian intervention, uh, we'll go to war. But writer Miko Peled, who was born in Jerusalem, says the world is ignoring the plight of Palestinians in Gaza and Palestinian rage is the result. It's an ongoing horror show. Israelis are having parties on the other side of the fence as people are dying of thirst and lack of medical care and being bombed. Israelis are having a party or a music festival on the other side of the fence. I mean, that's the reality. People were killed, aren't you? Don't we feel yeah. sorry for those folks? Well, we feel sorry for anybody who's died. Everybody has a mother and a father, so of course we, you know, it's a sad story. 
but you create a reality like this, and it's to be expected. Mike Pellet is author of an article on the Mondo Weiss website titled The October Failures. In his extended remarks, Pellet says the Israeli army and intelligence services have always been overestimated. Their failure in predicting and countering the Hamas attack was itself predictable. Israeli, the Israeli brutality is something that Palestinians have been used to for you know, 75 years, more than 75 years. And so Palestinians uh, have to live with the brutality whether they fight back or not. I mean, most of the time, Palestinians face Israeli brutality for just speaking out, not for, not for you know, standing up and fighting. But uh, so that's 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 part of that's part of the you know that's that's the, that's the day in the life of a Palestinian is a life of putting up with Israeli brutality. Uh, but from time to time, they stand up, and and the sad thing is that the world instead of instead of supporting them, supporting the Palestinians who have you know really put together a, a, you know a, tactically at least a brilliant attack. Um, everybody sides with the oppressor. They're siding with Israel. They're supporting Israel, which has been, you know, designated and, and accused directly by Amnesty International of committing the crime of apartheid. Mm-hmm. So there's something clearly, clearly uh, wrong uh, in this picture. It seems like an older, conservative, all-white, doesn't seem like it's mo- in the modern world. I mean, they're not recognizing changes that are happening in our world. No, and and look at who's supporting Israel. Some of the worst, uh, you know, fascist and neo-Nazi regime, uh, the, 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 um, leaders in Europe are supporting Israel. Uh, here in America, you know, all politicians support Israel. They've got this blind, uh, you know, this blind policy that you have to support Israel. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the the call for justice, the call for freedom, the call for apartheid is one that is that unifies people. I mean, I walked yesterday. I was walking around the street. I'm in Washington D.C. Uh, wearing a Palestine T-shirt, and um, people of all backgrounds came up to me and said, "Wow, that's great! You know, we support Palestine. It's so good to see somebody wearing a T-shirt, you know, wearing a, a free Palestine T-shirt." So, of course, mm-hmm. it's much more diverse. But the problem is that uh, that um, you know the the power is in the hands of the people who oppose change, who oppose justice, the power people who support sending weapons to to regimes like the Israeli regime. That's that's precisely the problem, and Palestinians know this. Palestinians are aware of this, mm-hmm. um, but from time to time, I think expecting them to rise and and, and fight like they did is is um, I mean it's 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 to be expected. It's so frightening, though. I mean, Israel has got. I mean, they sent an aircraft carrier to the United States. I mean, it's yeah. like sending an aircraft carrier to take down people who are armed with rifles. Imagine if France had sent an aircraft carrier to the colonies and the U.S. is having its revolution to side with the British. Yeah. If Americans had a clear understanding, they would demand that the Sixth Fleet or carrier would be sent to, to help people in Gaza and to support the people in Gaza in their struggle and to support the people in Gaza in their, you know, even on a humanitarian basis, not even on a military basis. Now they're sending an aircraft carrier to support this, the brutality and the, 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 the bloodletting that Israel has been doing to Palestinians. The Americans should rise and, and demand that they, the, the carrier be turned around. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is, this is, this is incredible. But what is the possibility of this expanding into a much bigger conflict? I doubt it. And if they were going, if the Hezbollah was going to participate, they already would have. I mean, it's clearly, in my opinion, not going to turn into an all-out war, regional war. What one would have hoped, though, that the powers around Israel would rally around the Palestinians and support the Palestinians, the countries, at least the countries who neighbor Palestine, 
and who have a connection to Palestine, the Arab countries, the Muslim countries, would rally around and impose severe sanctions against the state of Israel and cut all diplomatic ties with the state of Israel and treat it as it should be, as an apartheid state. And sadly, that does not seem to be the case, although I have to say the the Saudi foreign minister announced that all talks of normalization are off the table right now, which is, of course, in my opinion, a very good thing. Mm-hmm. But I would have hoped that there would be a much stronger rallying around the Palestinian cause at this point when they're standing up and they need support than they're, than what we're seeing. Where is this going to head? I mean, it looks like a terrible you know, invasion, street fighting from the rubble. Yeah. Not quite Stalingrad, well, they don't, you know, but something akin to no, a street it's, <laughs> street warfare yeah. out of the rubble. Well, right now Israel is in, intent on on revenge, and so they're exacting a, a horrible, you know, punishment on on innocent civilians in Gaza. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to end with negotiations, and then the question is, will the Palestinians be able to exact uh, at least a serious political gains? Because you know, the test the test of a, of a military operation is what what you gain politically. Really, it's not enough to have a brilliant you know, battle, you need to be able to, to get political gain from it. And the hope is, my hope at least, is that when the negotiations do begin, the Palestinians will be able to leverage their uh, military gains and turn them into political gains and big political gains. They've already talked about the desire to, the demand to release the political prisoners, Palestinian prisoners. And now they've got a lot of Israeli um, prisoners. They have even said they even have a general among the prisoners, and they've got some leverage there. But I would hope that they would demand a lot more, that they would demand freedom, that they would demand an end of the siege of Gaza, at least. But one thing is sure, they're going to end up in negotiations, because these things always do. What will happen beyond that, of course, is, is a big question. The Netanyahu government, could this be a death knell for them? Nothing whatsoever. They're talking about a unity government. So the thing is, you know, people always compare what happened now, October 7th to 50 years ago, 1973, the October War. One thing that's very different is that in those days, Israelis had a political choice. And so there were elections after that. They got rid of the Golda Meir government and they elected a, the opposition. That political reality no longer exists because Netanyahu, being the brilliant politician that he is, and he's a terrible statesman, but he's a brilliant politician, knows how to stay in power. So now, not only is there not an opposition, not only is there nobody saying he's got to go because of this massive failure, but the opposition is on their knees begging to be let in to the cabinet and create, they want a seat at the table, which everybody thinks is a great idea, but of course, democratically, it's a terrible idea. Why would they want to be part of it? But Israeli politics is all about who gets to sit in what chair, and it's always a game of musical chairs. Even if Israelis chose to vote for somebody else, it's somebody who was in that seat three weeks ago or six months ago. So Netanyahu is very safe. He's the only one who knows how to play this game, and he always wins. I don't see any danger for him. And, of course, he came out with all these announcements of an act of war and all that kind of stuff and punishing Gaza, which Israelis love. So I don't think there's any risk of him or any chance of him going away anytime soon. Innocent people who had nothing to do with this, in a way, suffering. Yeah, and they're going to be suffering a lot more. There's no question. At the end of the day, Palestinians are always the ones who are, who are victims, regardless of what takes place. Miko Pellet is author of an article available at MondoWeiss.net titled The October Failures. And in national news, in Philadelphia, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announced to cheering supporters he's quitting the Democratic Party to free himself from what he calls control by corporate bosses to run as an independent for President of the United States. But to do that, I must first declare my own independence. 
independence from the Democratic Party. from all other political parties. I, I haven't made this decision lightly. It's very painful for me to let go of the party of my uncles, my father, my, my grandfather, and both of my great-grandfathers, Honey Fitz, Fitzgerald, and Patrick, who was the first Irish Catholic ghetto mayor of Boston, and Patrick Kennedy, who was a ward boss in Boston, both of them launched our political dynasty over a hundred years ago. But my sacrifice is nothing compared to the risk our founding fathers took when they signed the Declaration of Independence 247 years ago. They knew that if their revolution failed, every last one of them would be hanged. They chose to place everything on the line. When John Adams put his pen down, after adding his signature to the declaration, he turned to those present and he said to them, sink or swim, live or die, survive or perish, from this day on, I am with my country. I'm gonna make... I'm gonna make that same pledge to you today so that I can stand before you as every leader should, should stand before you, free of partisan allegiance, free from, the, free from the backroom deals, servant only to my conscience, to my creator, and to you. Today, today we turn a new page in American politics. There have been independent candidates in this country before, but this time it's going to be different. Because, because this time, the independent is going to win. Three quarters of Americans believe that President Biden is too old to govern effectively. President Trump faces multiple civil and criminal trials. Both of them have favorability ratings that are deep in negative territory. That's what two-party politics has given us. And that's why we need to pry loose from the hammerlock of the corrupt powers in Washington, D.C. and make this nation ours again. But there's a sacrifice that everyone, including myself, have to make if we're going to reunite America. We're going to have to surrender the kind of political addiction that is ultimately at the root of all of these divisions. And that's the addiction to taking sides. Our nation's renewal is going to begin when we start to treat each other with respect. Only then will we be able to step outside our tired, stuck debates. We can ask the questions then that nobody thought to ask. We can discover solutions that were right in front of our face. 
we will listen not just to the other side, but to those who are part from any side. In a two-sided conflict, both parties have a kind of mutual dependency. Each side depends on the other to define themselves as good guys in contrast to the other side, who of course are the bad guys. Well, if you're a team good, then you'll do anything, no matter how unscrupulous, to defeat team evil. And that's why we've seen both parties sacrificing their core values and the, and the foundational canons of democracy in an all-out power for power for in an all-out struggle for power. In a war against evil, any means justifies the end. The result is that we ourselves become evil if we participate in that battle. The child who is obsessed with hating a parent becomes that parent. As I've surrendered my attachment to taking sides over the past six months, I've been able to listen with new ears to people with whom I disagree and to see solutions that would otherwise have been invisible. I'll give you an example. Six months ago, I thought that an open border was a humanitarian policy and that sealing, if you were for sealing the border, it meant that you were probably a xenophobe and maybe a racist. I was wrong. How did I learn I was wrong? It wasn't just that I listened. It, it wasn't just that I listened to the other side. It was when I actually visited the border and listen to people who weren't on either side. My views changed as I spoke to Border Patrol officers, to local officials, to local sheriffs, to aid workers, and to the migrants themselves. I saw that no one party has a monopoly on wisdom, and none of the simplistic narratives actually contain the whole truth. My promise to you as president is that I'm going to do this on every issue. I'm going to listen to the stakeholders. I'm going to listen to the stakeholders from every side and beyond any side. I'm going to uphold my moral convictions, of course, absolutely. But I'll hold my own opinions lightly. I'll look at the evidence and the arguments, and I'll choose not the easy path, not the established path, but the right path. In making an independent run for president, I take inspiration from the one other president who, who did not have a political party, and that president was George Washington. And In his farewell address, Washington issued a prescient warning about the disastrous potential of party politics. Inevitably, he said, political parties will be taken over by a cunning, ambitious, unprincipled minority who will serve the interests of the party rather than the interests of the nation and usurp for themselves the reins of government. Washington's dire prediction has certainly come true. I intend to wrest the reins of both parties and return power to the American people. Now, 
Now let me tell you what an independent presidency will look like. Because I'm independent of the military contractors, I'll be able to pursue a foreign policy that puts peace and diplomacy first. And because I'm independent of wealthy donors, I'll be able to close the loopholes and giveaways that bloat our budget. And because I'm independent of Wall Street, I'll be able to rescue debtors instead of the banks during the next, uh, during the next financial crisis. And because I'm independent of big polluters, I'll be able to clean up our soil, our water, our air, and protect our Purple Mountains majesty. And because I'm independent of corporations, I'll be able to unravel the corporate capture of our regulatory agencies. And because I'm independent of both political parties, I'll be able to enact bold policies that are outside of the partisan conversation. Let me be clear, though. Being independent of the two political parties is not, does not mean, does not mean making them my enemy. Dogmatic opposition is just as much a form of dependency as dogmatic loyalty. As president, I'm going to work with officials from both parties who want to join me in serving our nation rather than exploiting and searching for partisan political advantage. That's what a new Democrat, a new Declaration of Independence sounds like. Remember this moment. We have a year and one month until the election. Let's go take back our country. An environmental lawyer best known as the son of Senator Robert F. Kennedy, also a candidate for president who was assassinated in Los Angeles, the 91, that state's Democratic presidential primary in 1968. Kennedy Jr. is also known for his iconoclastic views opposing the use of vaccines. The administration of President Joe Biden said Thursday it will continue building the wall between Mexico and the United States because of record migrant crossings. The barrier was made famous by former President Donald Trump with his signature slogan, Build the Wall. In 2021, Biden pledged no new taxpayer money would go for the wall. Speaking to reporters today, Biden says he can't stop money for the wall already approved by Trump. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. Trump used the occasion to claim victory and demand an apology from the president. Few places are more impacted by the surge of migrants seeking asylum in the United States than New York City. Mayor Eric Adams, who is about to embark on a trip to Latin America, says more than 120,000 asylum seekers have come to the city since last year, with a projected cost to taxpayers of $12 billion. The city has moved to suspend the right to shelter, a 1981 consent agreement requiring the city to provide temporary housing for unhoused people, the only city in the country with that requirement. The mayor criticized the Biden asylum policy in an interview on Wednesday. The president has done a great job. We've stood side by side around crime. Uh, we stood side by side around environmental issues. But on this issues, I believe the White House is wrong. The executive director of the Coalition for the Homeless is David Giffen. He tells WBAI the mayor's proposal would undo 80 years of progress on behalf of the poor and unhoused in New York. It is the responsibility of the government to care for the needy. 
this is the birthplace of progressivism. The fact that the mayor and the governor now are turning their back on the long ideals of New York City, on the humanity and compassionate and practical approaches that have allowed us to thrive as a city for the last hundred years is a betrayal of everything that's made the city great. Giffen adds, if Mayor Adams gets his way, the streets of New York would soon look like San Francisco and Los Angeles, where tent cities have sprouted on sidewalks throughout their downtowns. And as the civil and criminal cases against former President Donald Trump have progressed, his violent rhetoric and false claims the 2020 election was stolen have been agitating his supporters and instigating threats against his real and imagined opponents. More recently, Trump has taken to making direct threats himself. He suggested former Joint Chiefs Chair General Mark Milley be executed for phone calls he made in the course of his work with his Chinese counterpart. Speaking on 60 Minutes, Milley said he could take care of himself. The former commander-in-chief seems to be calling for your execution. Are you worried about your safety? I've got adequate safety precautions. I, I wish those comments had not been made, but they were, and we'll take appropriate measures to ensure my safety and the safety of my family. Last month, Trump's friend and occasional lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, lost a defamation suit brought by two Georgia election workers. The former New York City mayor had accused of stuffing ballots. Giuliani has to pay $132,000 in sanctions. I'm Paul Durianzo in New York. Thanks for listening.